Welcome to the Two Dudes One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers, and our movie this week comes from Parker. It's Nightmare Alley. Park, this is it. This is your movie. And we're back with The Seven Deadly Sins, which is a theme throughout the movie. Isn't that crazy, Rick? Uh, I think it's crazy. Because we obviously do not decide that prior. Park, before we break in your recap, because you're doing the Rick recap this week, why don't you tell us what made you decide this movie? Well, first off, can I just say that this this setup feels like Freaky Friday? Like, I'm Lindsay Lohan, and you're Jamie Lee Curtis. And we just flipped bodies, Rick. We're... And I feel like it feels like uncomfortable. I feel like I'm not like settled into <laughs> our podcast yet because we're not. Out of our podcast. viewers finally, our listeners finally got comfortable with hearing us talk, and now we're just changing everything willy nilly. Hopefully, this isn't the worst one yet because we're just we're doing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, let me let me tell you guys why I picked this movie. Why this was my movie pick. Um, first and foremost, Rick actually helped me decide on this pick. Um, I was trying to pick between three different movies. I was trying to pick between Nightmare Alley, The Shining, and Taxi Driver. And I decided to go with Nightmare Alley because it was one that I had seen and I really, really enjoy. Something really fresh that I don't think got a lot of publicity and a lot of recognition. Just It, it really flew under the radar comparatively to a lot of films that year. And it was a movie that you, Rick, had not seen before. And I thought it'd be really cool and exciting to bring a movie that I really enjoy, that I own, to the podcast and have you experience it for the first time. Parker Campbell, you own this movie? People own movies? I own movies, Rick. I, three or four years ago, decided that I wanted to support and physically own the movies that I go see and I absolutely love. So I start a Blu-ray collection, Rick. I don't even know if they make Blu-ray players still anymore, but I have a I Blu-ray feel like I player. Know. Sorry, I'm talking over you. The park; these were the show notes. I know. Dis- our, my wife myself. Becky, who is our producer and creative director, just ripped into us over talking over each other. She also ripped into me for clicking on my mouse a lot when we talk. So I'm just gonna do this real quick. All right. Oh, ooh, I just made you full screen. I didn't know I could do that. Technology is beautiful. It's but crazy. I feel like I should know your first movie. Was it that you like started collecting? For some reason, I want to say it was Nightcrawler, but I don't think it was. No, I don't own Nightcrawler. It's a, I, I want to own it, but I don't know what my first movie was, Rick. I, it might, know. I thought it was it, while we were in college you got your first one. It might have been La La Land. No. Maybe. I don't know. I really don't know. I had to go. I'd have to go look at it. I'm sure if I like looked and been like, oh yeah, it was definitely this one. Or I could probably narrow it down yeah. to like a couple. Well, because for some reason, I feel like I have this memory of like you coming back from like a Target or Best Buy trip and you just dove into their little Blu-ray bin. I think so. <laughs> like, yeah. I think up. that's where it all started. And I know every every Black Friday, everyone like flocks to Best Buy to get like TVs and stuff, and I like dash in there to get to that Blu-ray section because they put so many movies at like five dollars and it's the best and all i'm saying is you can't trust streaming because one week a movie's on there and another it's not rick you experienced that this week i did uh generally though for streaming and what's funny is that since my parents absolutely love superhero movies through apple my family owns like every single superhero movie ever made we have we have like a catalog of my like dad has this catalog of movies that he's bought through apple and it's over four to four hundred to five hundred movies Literally. That's crazy. All it's superhero crazy. movies. All the movies that you love. Right. <laughs> Just the same. It's like Captain America, like one, two, and three is over and over again. Incredible. Oh, I forgot. This is my this is my thing you now. The <laughs> I'm just so this this is just so so different, Rick. But okay. Alright. <clears throat> Here we go. I, I'm gonna try and do a voice with this as well. Alright. Step right up, boys and girls, and feast your eyes on nightmares beyond belief. With a plethora of alleys to justify its title, this Guillermo del Toro instant classic looks into the tragic life of a down-on-his-luck dork and his transformation into a down-on-his-luck geek. With his deceptive ways, Bradley Cooper will spin the movie trying to punk everyone around him, 
just to realize he's no Ashton Kutcher. He's the one being punked. Ta-da. That was like that was very impressive. I feel Thank like there's a lot of there's a lot of big words to hit in there. I know. Well, I was really trying. I, I was trying to go for that William Defoe type of voice. I I don't think I did it as well as Mr. Defoe himself, but I I think I had something going there. Is it like possible for William Defoe to be like bad in a movie? Um, I feel like every movie is just amazing. Isn't it? No, it's, it's impossible. And if it if it was possible, it would be a sin. It'd be a sin on him. Well, Park brings us right into what is this all about? Um, I don't necessarily think this is like about the seven deadly sins. I think it's a common theme throughout the movie. Uh, Guillermo del Toro said this movie is more about mirrors. He said that in multiple interviews, um, which you see in one of not like the opening scene. You see it about fifteen twenty minutes in when they're they're going after the geek. Probably it's a lot of people's. I don't know if I say a lot of people's. It's Bradley Cooper's and Guillermo del Toro's favorite scene of the movie. Um, mm. Fifteen minutes into the movie, I think it's absolutely incredible to like hear them. They, like, broke down the entire scene I watched earlier. Um, but it tells you everything that you need to know about the movie. He walks into a door. Seven deadly sins are next to him. There's a mirror that says, look at you, sinner. And he looks right into the mirror and then moves on real quick. And then he sees the, like, geek right there. But, Park, what's a geek? You want to explain, break down what a geek is for us? Rick, basically a, a geek is a uh, down-on-his-luck fellow who um, just has really hit rock bottom and he gets kind of lured into the carny system with this temporary gig is what he's kind of being promised. The carnies kind of decept him into at least the story that William Defoe's character was saying, they kind of drug him to make him addicted to alcohol and to liquor and stuff like that and make it to the point where he's losing himself and his humanity and he ends up transforming and becoming this like caricature or this monster that is used for entertainment purposes to um, in the carnival that Bradley Cooper's character goes to at the beginning they drop a chicken into this pit and he comes crawling out like this monster from Star Wars in episode 6 and just rips the neck apart of this chicken like a monster and a beast and that's, that's what a geek is not not your typical geek that, you know, knows every movie trivia fact like you and I, Rick. I'm, like, disappointed in myself because there's definitely, like, a University of Alabama frat guy joke in there. I just can't, I just can't think of one. But I'll leave it to the audience to, to make one for us. That's, that's good. Leave it up to the imagination. That's what great filmmakers do. But what I was to do, Park, so I, I knew that's about seven daily sense. Mainly, I know Guillermo del Toro's style. Most recently, Pinocchio. Absolutely incredible. So I knew that The Seven Deadly Sins, the second I saw them, they were also, like, on the DVD, I guess maybe the DVD cover. They're on the, like, electronic DVD cover when you, like, click on the movie. Um, so I knew that there was obviously, like, they are playing a part here. So I wrote down some of the things that I, where I think these were portrayed. He says The Seven Deadly Sins are portrayed, every single one Bradley Cooper portrays in this movie. So probably let's break it down. First one I got is Pride. Mm-hmm. How do you, how, where... Do you think Bradley Cooper displays pride? Um, just in his performances and the way that he becomes, he thinks of himself almost like a god where he can manipulate people on whim. He gets to this point where he believes he is of higher being than, you know, the average folk. Yeah, and I think it was foreshadowed there um, when he was starting to become obsessed with the, with the guy's book. I don't even think we wrote down the character because he died so early on. He was like being like obsessed with his book to learn all these like secrets and the guy like foreshadowed and he was like uh, if you like if you really think that you can you'll get to a point that you really think you can do these things that's when it gets dangerous yeah a man who believes his own lies is incredibly dangerous i think was um what he was saying that's much more that's much more poetic than uh, how i phrased it uh, i just repeated what was already written rick <laughs> part greed for greed i wrote uh, I mean, I just think there's the theme of wanting to be rich and make money for Bradley Cooper. Specifically his schemes in the latter half yeah. of the movie where he takes his uh, manipulation levels too far just in the pursuit of money. Yeah, and then the next one, the obvious one, we have Lust. I think it's initially the girl at the carnival. And I, like, originally I was just going to go to the psychologist. Um, I'm, I'm, so I'm initially going to go with Rooney Mara's character. I mean, you could even, you could even look at... Um, Tony Collette's character, the yeah, the mentalist, that was kind of his first lustful situation. He's in the bathtub and she comes on to him and he doesn't 
you know, stray away from that. He was always like, there were always these scenes that he was like, just staring, I guess, at the women that were around him. Yeah. So, definitely, I think it's so much of it plays into the psychologist, though. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think the lust really comes into the Kate Blanchett stuff. I mean, you could tell he's falling for her because he's drawing her in his book like he did Molly earlier yeah. on. And so he, you know, was falling for Molly in the first half of the movie, and then he's falling for Kate Blanchett's character in a more lustful way, I would say. That's a might be a little tougher. What do you got for Envy? Envy. Oof. Um, what do you have? I think it's a little, I think it's two ways. One, I do think there's kind of like an envy of being rich, but I, I think there's some type of envy with the psychologist of like, mm. I think he knew that she was better than him. Yeah. That's all I wrote. I don't think there was anything really explicit. Uh, next one is again easy. We have gluttony, which to me, that's just his drinking when yeah. he gets there. Totally. And then we have wrath. We've seen him experience, we've seen him use wrath at the very beginning. We see him use wrath a lot. Yeah, I mean, we see him use wrath at the very beginning, and he's trying to, I feel like, run away from that side of him, but he can't because it's his nature. And then you obviously comes full force again at the very end when he basically punches and kills the man and runs over his uh, bodyguard, all in the climactic finale. And then last one. This one's the toughest for me to figure out. Um, I kind of took a cop out answer. I did it for sloth. Maybe the very end where he's just kind of, yeah, where he's, like, just become a nothing, you know? Like, he's basically become a geek. Well, I honestly, I don't even know. I Like, I looked at the order of, like, the, I think there's a lot in the order of the Seven Deadly Sins of how uh, Guillermo at least portrayed it. It seems like he kind of portrayed it in order. And he got him to this, like, sloth state before he, like, broke down to that point of becoming a geek. Yeah. Can I just say that last shot of the movie... Where it's just fixated on Bradley Cooper. Because he, like, knows exactly what this Carney is doing. When Because earlier in the movie, there's a scene where Bradley Cooper and William Defoe's characters are talking about, like, William Defoe's explaining how you trick a man into becoming a geek. And at the end of the movie, this Carney is doing the exact same thing that was described to him. And he knows exactly what is happening. And he's just, like, so gone at this point he's lost his humanity and everything that he is to the point where he just like doesn't even care he's like so broken and in pain where he's just like i was born to play this this is who i am i think he always knew too i think there's this little part of him that always knew that's like yeah like i guess how guillermo Torres even stated in some of his interviews that he was always looking in a mirror like the entire time like mirror mirrors was just kind of a like he was, I guess there are so many stages that Bradley Cooper was like looking at a version of himself and the people he interacted with. Yeah. So it's almost well, like his was mirroring himself. I think also, and we talked about this briefly before we started recording, this movie, Bradley Cooper's character goes about 10 or 15 minutes into the movie without speaking. And the very first line of dialogue, the very first person he addresses is the geek. He does not speak to anyone before that. And I think when you talk about someone speaking to someone you can interpret that as someone believing that they are on the same level as you like you don't speak when you're not told to when you're with someone of a higher authority or someone you believe that is above you but you can speak freely when you're around people at your level and so i think that that was a window into showing that bradley cooper thought of himself carlisle is the character's name thought of himself at the same level as this geek that's, accurate. That's like a good description too because he wasn't like speaking, I guess, at him. Like he wasn't like yelling at him. He just no. like talked to him normally. He even like, or there's a point in the movie where he gave him a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> when he was no. like moseying around. It very much played off like he viewed him as an equal. And so I thought, I, I, I'd never, when I watched it for the first time in the theaters, I didn't pick that up. But watching it again the second time, I really was like, wow. Like I never noticed that, but that's absolutely 100% very intentional thing for a filmmaker to do. You don't wait 15 minutes for your character to speak for the first time and not it not have some sort of significance and the person that he's speaking to have some sort of significance. Paul, before we dive in to the good, ugly, good, the bad, the ugly, I guess as we say in that segment, um, how do you feel about pickled babies? Rick, I love pickled babies. I just wanted <laughs> specifically that little pig. I just want to take that little piglet home, stick him up on my shelf. Dude, how about Amek? Is that his name, Amek? No, I think it's Enoch, Rick. Enoch? Enoch. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Enoch, Enoch, I think it just kind of depends on how you want to pronounce it. He's, a, he's one. He is a thing. I don't know if I would want him. Just imagine having him on my nightstand. I'm waking up and his giant eye is staring me right in the face. <laughs> the giant third eye. Like, good morning, Enoch. How you doing? If you haven't seen the movie William Defoe, probably... I think William Defoe. It's hard to pick out, like, who's the best character slash actor in this movie because everyone was absolutely amazing. Everyone I love William so Defoe in every single movie that he's in. I think William Defoe, like, steals the scene of everything he's in. Uh, he was... Movie he was a standout movie. for sure in every scene. Like, and he, y- you remember him because he's only in the first, realistically, he's probably only has like 30 minutes of screen time. And it's all in the first half of the movie. But like, so good. his character stays with you. William Defoe has a collection of pickled babies. I wouldn't be surprised if actual really William Defoe has a collection of pickled babies, Rick. Did I honestly wouldn't either. I wouldn't even, I feel like I would find like an Annabelle doll in his basement. Yeah, and, and you know, nothing weird about it. Just like, that's William, you know? That's Willem. Yeah, it's like, oh. Pickle babies. Yeah. But the whole reason of the pickle babies is like, I feel like, or maybe not the whole reason. I never even looked up the like significance of that, which I'm sure Guillermo had. Uh, but the dialogue portion of when he was kind of showing off the pickle babies was uh, telling Bradley Cooper's character about the two different alcohols he has in those boxes. Mm-hmm. Whereas one is made to drink and the other one is made the pickle and it can actually, it can kill people. Do you think, I know we're spending a lot of time on what do we think about the movie. Do you think Bradley Cooper's character purposely killed Tony Collette's husband. Um, yes, yeah, I do. I think for him, everything in reality is very calculated and decisive, and I, I think that that was a very premeditated idea that he had because he showed interest in this book, in this profession, and I think he saw that man as a barrier to him getting to where he wanted to go. And if he could get him out of the picture, he would be able to progress to what he wanted to become in using this mentalist mind trick on people. Oh, definitely. I think, because I definitely think he was so focused on him. I mean, in the end, he was selfish. Yeah. Every single like person he saw was, like, as a tool to like where he wanted to be. Um, and I even think there's so many moments that you see that this is a very like smart, calculated, dangerous person. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no way that he accidentally <laughs> like just gave him the wrong... Alcohol. Unless he's colorblind. I guess he could be colorblind. They're in different colored bins. Rick, what a plot twist that would be if this whole time he was just colorblind. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Mark, tell me you're good. Rick, there's a lot of good in this movie. There's a lot of good in a lot of the movies we've seen this season, including last week's. Um, and a lot of it is very similar things. But I will first and foremost say that I felt that this story is so well written and I think it is such a tight script. It's a slow burner. I'm sure you'll talk about this a little bit more. But the story is so meticulous in how it builds and the choices that it makes. And for as long of a runtime that it has, it doesn't have any fluff in it. Everything matters. Every scene builds to another mo- character moment, to another piece of information that you need to understand what's coming next. And I have to give credit to that. The writers did a phenomenal job. And then also Guillermo did a great job of taking what was written and really fine-tuning it with his direction. He probably doesn't support the writer's strike. He, loves he his probably writers. doesn't. Yeah, he loves his writers. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know who, speaking on that, you know who couldn't survive without a writer's strike? Who's that, Jim, Jimmy Kimmel, because he's not funny. Oof. Anyways, Park. Oof. Honestly, all wow. of them. Fallon, Seth Meyers, I think, could survive. I don't even know who the other one is. Those Rick are just calling one. out, just calling them out. Conan, I think Conan is was the last like actual funny late night talk show host. I never listened to too much Conan. Anyways, he also has a podcast. Conan, you're always welcome on here. Yeah, come on, come on over to Two Dudes One Movie, Conan. We'd love to have you. So I also think that I mean I think I'm reading your list of good, and I obviously don't want to steal anything that you have not said yet. I think you're right on the ball though. I mean, I think that the runtime is long. Um, it's two and a half hours. This is this might be the best slow burner, like slow burning movie that I think I've ever seen. Mainly because like like I'm saying like a lot. Also a note, I'm just not doing well right now. <laughs> that was an early season note too, Rick. That was an early You're season. You're supposed note. to have perfected this by now. I know. <laughs> I guess I really haven't really um thought out it yet, you know. I hope Becky, when she's putting promotional content together, cuts out every like that you've said throughout the entire season and makes a compilation of it. Dude, there's so much. 
That and ums. <laughs> that would take forever. And your ums. I, I, I'm just going to say this. I feel like I've gotten a little better with my ums. Maybe Becky would disagree. Maybe you would disagree. But I feel like I'm not saying it as much as I was earlier in the season. I think I'm getting better with my likes because I'm, I feel like when I'm more prepared, like with writing things down, I'm better. <laughs> like, like if we don't just show up and not do any preparation, we actually know what we're talking about. It's true. Well, I mean, the first couple episodes, we're, just kind of, we're fine in our way, Park. We were, we're fine. Out. We're still fine in our way, Rick. We're always... We're always finding one. our way. Check, check us out on season ten. You know? Season ten, we will we will be there, guys. If you're yeah. still here with us, we will be there. Doing Disney Channel originals, we'll be. Oh, here. I can't wait for that season, Rick. Rick, we gotta we got some decisions to make because season two is coming. We gotta find a new genre. I know. We gotta figure out what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're not gonna announce that this week, but uh, it will be coming soon. But back to the good. Either way, I think Guillermo del Toro is like absolute mastermind. Everything that's in the movie is very, like, particular, and it's particularly placed. I loved... Nothing shocked me about the movie. Uh, maybe some people go in, they like, the ending isn't that... Or the ending's pretty crazy. For me, like, I know Guillermo del Toro's style. I knew the second this big tent and this, like, devil figure that he was walking into this big carnival tent, I knew he was going to tell us all we needed to know about the entire movie. Uh, that's just how he, that's how he rolls. And I will say, I will say this, Rick. That's a theme I think in a lot of really great movies. Is yeah. the is a movie within a movie? Is what is like basically explaining to the audience? This is my movie in one scene. Yeah. Great, no, great awesome. movies do that. Another a movie that comes to mind right off the bat is Whiplash. The opening sequence of Whiplash is the entire movie. It's true. Well, I just think it's the it's the simplicity. Movies should not be overcomplicated, but they also shouldn't be like. I guess really stupid either, like really stupid or simple either. Yeah. I just think there's some beauty in that simplicity and then like getting a lot of complex thoughts out of that. Because in the end, the story's not that crazy here. This is a typical story of a con It's man. not, the, the story itself isn't complex, but it's the characters that make it so nuanced and so yeah. intriguing. And I'm a firm believer in that. I'll, I'll, I think I'll say this till the day I die is stories don't make the movies. It's the characters in them. That's what keeps people entertained, and that's what keeps people compelled. You could have a fantastic plot with all these crazy, wild set pieces and action sequences and all this stuff, but if you don't have compelling characters, nobody's going to care. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, take notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. Right, yeah. Yeah, but in the end, I think the best part of this movie is Bradley Cooper. Uh, this is the best to me this is the best character Bradley Cooper has ever played I thought he was amazing in American Sniper I like him in A Star is Born too I think he played uh, well I for, completely forgot about Star is Born I don't know how I forgot that incredible nap too that was his de- a directorial debut too yeah um, so I just think I even think that his character in this movie is so much better there's so many layers there's so many layers to peel back with this character he's very good he's just very good at every little nuanced thing in this movie even just talking and acting so. in my notes i one of the goods i have is the characters and specifically bradley cooper's character and i i wrote down that i find it so compelling that throughout the film he he's teetering this line in a lot of ways of whether we should like him or hate him because he does some really great things early on in the film but you also know he has a horrible history and then in the second half of the film he's doing these like terrible things but also like trying to just make a a name of himself and become something bigger than who he believes him, himself to be and so he's always teetering this line but I think it's it makes for an incredibly complex and interesting character oh, definitely also just the the carnival whole the whole carnival vibe in the first 30 minutes is like cool like this like 1940s carnival and they like really make you feel like you're walking the grounds with Bradley Cooper yeah it's like a cool vibe that I never really thought about in a movie before you don't so. see the production design on this was was phenomenal yeah. like um, the sets, I, I think of this though practically, like speaking, that crew, that poor crew probably had to go out in the middle of the, nowhere in this field with a bunch of fleas and insects and like they built this carnival out there and it was probably a miserable experience because they had like 40 overnights to do. This was not, I can tell you this folks, this was not an easy movie to make. This Just watching this and thinking about how films are made practically, this is a tough movie to make. I will say, when you get on a project like this and you know it's going to be something great, it makes it worth it. The world didn't think it was great. 80% around Tomatoes, I think it's like 70% audience, Park. Sometimes people get it wrong, Rick. 
this is this is a great this is a great film i don't care what people say what part do you have you have a bad for this movie i was thinking about it i didn't think about it too hard because nothing comes like directly to mind but i did write that you feel the runtime and specifically i'll say it this second time seeing this movie watching it at home made uh it made for a slightly distracting viewing just because when you're in the theater, you have an undivided attention to the screen. But when you're at home, there are things that can easily distract you and that uh, this movie is prone to that um, in a lot of ways because of just the nature of what it is. So that's that's a bad, but part of it's not even the movie's fault. Part of it is just my poor attention span. So... It's like the exact kind of thing I was thinking. There's nothing crazy that I'm like, wow, this was such a bad part of this movie. I know. You know, like there's nothing, there's nothing weak. Like the script is strong, the characters are strong, the story's strong, the acting's strong. Uh, there, I think every time a character held a cup or ate food, there's actually real water <laughs> in the cup part. That's all I asked for. It's all I asked for. I want real. It's real, Rick. It's it's a real gosh darn movie. Not one of those fake movies. Like, when I think of things of movie that are bad, I'm looking for something to, like, take me out. Like, take me out of the story. Take me out of this world. But yeah. Park Guillermo, he got me in there. It's a really immersive It's a really immersive world. I thought I was in the carnival park. I thought I was just... I was in there. Rick, we're all just carnies. Yeah, thought I was one of the pickle babies. Park, are you ready for my rant this week? We always have one. Rick, please rant away. So this isn't so much about this movie, though. This is a long movie. It's two and a half hours, which you kind of preluded this a little bit. Movie runtime is my rant this week, Park. Mm. I think the perfect runtime for a movie is between 90 and 120 minutes. I'll go 90 and 135 minutes. I think you need to be somewhere between that. And if you're lower or higher, it's tough. Because I think there's a lot of filler. I think there's a lot of danger for filler. This movie, there was no fillers, so this movie escaped that. Not many movies do. I'm looking at, and again, I'm, I already name-dropped him. I'm looking at Christopher Nolan movies particularly. He's made amazing movies, like without a doubt. Like, The Dark Knight is incredible. You yeah. cannot honestly tell me that there is a scene that you wouldn't take out of The Dark Knight. Like, there's definitely scenes in The Dark Knight that I don't need to see that has nothing to do with the movie. It's just so he can fill up... He's going to fill up his time. I feel like he, like, oh, I need to get over two and a half hours to three hours on my movies. I think he, like, that's in him. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, it's been a couple years since I watched The Dark Knight, but I, I feel like last time I saw The Dark Knight, it felt very intentional, too. So I don't know if I agree with you with that film specifically. Maybe maybe some of his other films, but... I don't know. Don't, you probably, don't, go, I feel like, don't go attacking The Dark Knight on me, Rick. I know, I can't. It's a, it's a lovely movie, Park. But come on, he's just showing a couple people talking in a dark shadow. I doubt it's that intentional. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> you're going to get some people really angry, Rick. I love The Dark Knight. I know you're uh, against comic book movies usually, but this is The Dark Knight we're talking about. No, but to me, the the reason The Dark Knight is amazing is for Heath Ledger and the Joker. I mean, he's a great villain. I, don't, I personally do not think anything else makes that movie like amazing, amazing. That's, that's personal. You can, we can debate this all we want to. We're not talking about this movie right now. Rick, that's not the movie of the week, so uh, I, know. I don't know if we can uh, dive too deep into that. But interesting rant, runtimes. I, I, I somewhat agree with you. I think a movie that's under 90 minutes can feel very rushed. You have to really like be honed and t- like super, super tight um, and very intentional when you have a short movie like that. That, that. And that's what Invasion of the Body Snatchers did wonderfully, Rick. It was oh, yeah. a short movie. I think it was 80 minute. I think it had an 80 minute runtime, but it, it was perfectly paced and incredibly intentional on in everything that was happening. But Park, that's why rom-coms do it perfectly. The 90 minutes. The 90 minute like, rom-com, Rick. We know what you're coming for. This is not going to be a surprise. We're yeah. not going to fluff this up at all. We're going to hit our 90 and then you're going to watch it. We're going to get paid. That's it. We're going to hit our story beats that everyone comes to expect when they watch a rom-com. But it's a rom-com, so we're always back. It's going to be 90 to 100 minutes long, and everyone's going to leave with a smile on their face, Rick. But I just, like, I really think, especially when you get to the two and a half hours to longer, it's hard to not feel the runtime. I absolutely, like, I love Lord of the Rings. I actually watched Lord of the Rings semi-recently for the first time. But, like, you feel the runtime. Like, Lord of the Rings is awesome. You feel the runtime in Lord of the Rings. It's hard. It's hard to keep it, especially in today's society when, like, everything's grabbing for your attention and 
our attention spans as a society are growing smaller and smaller because of uh, reels and TikToks and all of these other mediums that are so instant gratification mediums that it's hard to stay focused for two and a half hours and keep a person's attention and fully engrossed in a story and add on to the fact that you're not in a movie theater where that's where your attention is going to be but even in movie theaters even in a movie theater it can be tough it's true i'm actually i feel like i'm getting better watching movies doing this podcast because for the rants i like critiquing ridiculous things so i feel like i have to pay attention to everything to uh it's true to find something to critique so i feel like i'm like looking at my phone less and less i gotta give it to you rick you throughout the season you've done a masterful job of finding the most ridiculous things to critique and rant about things that i don't even think about well and like this one too i feel like i just cannot get something good to rant about with this movie for some reason it's too damn good it's a rick. great movie it's too damn good so i like thought of movie runtimes before i started the movie I started it. You like, saw the runtime and you're like, yeah, I was like I'm pissed. 7 p.m. This is two and a half hours. I'm getting to bed around 9.30. If there's a, if I have to go to take a bathroom break around 10, it's awful, Park. It's a tough life, Rick. Rick, we've come to that part of the episode, the part of every podcast where we like to do a fun activity or two. And this week, we may or may not have more than one fun activity. It depends on how it goes in the editing bay. It's true. It depends if they're good. If it one depends of them if they're sucks. good. If, if one sucks, you'll never know about it. If both but, sucks, we're just going to pick one. <laughs> then we just have we have to have at least something as an activity. It might not be fun that week, then. It just might be an activity. Our hope for you as a listener is that you have fun, you enjoy, and you can even play along. So that's what we're going to do this week, Rick. And uh, If you guys got this far, just this far, and you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to do an activity, that's okay. You already gave us our viewer. You gave us our listen. You made it more than, what, 10 or 15 minutes? That's all I ask. Yeah, that's all, yeah. If you don't like fun activities, if you're a, what's the opposite of fun activity? A unfun sitter. For some reason, I thought of a dull diorama, but that makes no sense. Dull diorama. I like that, though. If you're a dull diorama, turn us off now. It's all right. We understand. Diorama? I don't even know how to say that. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, Rick. Let's do it. This this week, I, I was thinking about what could we do that's a little different that plays into the whole mentalist sort of uh, theme that's going on here. And I came up with a great game. It's a game that many have played before, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. Rick, it's 20 questions. But 20 questions is a lot of questions, and we don't have that much time. So we're going to give you 10 questions to figure out what I'm thinking. You want to play? I'm down to play, Park. Last time I saw someone play this was uh, Cocaine Bear. All right. Well, Rick... Why don't we get why don't we get going? Let's just jump into it. Ask away. I already know what my thing is. Okay. Um is the color or is it a thing? Um Yes, it's a thing. <laughs> when I ask if when I ask if it's a thing, is it that that means I guess is it living or not? Can I restructure that one or is that my second one? That would be your second one, Rick. I'm not gonna let you get off easy. But a thing isn't living. So if you say it's a All thing, right. then you can't say it's not a living park. It's not living. Okay. Is the color of it on the rainbow? No. That's three, Rick. That's three already. Is it have any, does it have anything to do with movies? Yes. Do you encounter this thing in your day-to-day life? No. <laughs> I sure hope not. Are you sure hope not? <laughs> yeah. Guys, okay, am I about to ask my fifth? This, I think this is your fifth. Whatever, we'll say it's your fifth. We'll say it's my fifth. Is this thing... In the movie that we just watched. Yes. That was a good question, Rick. I know, but there's like... In, in like a carnival, there's so many little <laughs> There's so objects. many things. <laughs> Is this thing part of the carnival? Yes. Okay. So I, I probably see it in the first 30 minutes or so. Yeah. All right, you've got a... Well, that was question I six. So you have six. seven, eight, nine. You have four more to go. Four questions left. Four more. You've narrowed it down to the carnival, Rick. Does William Defoe interact with this thing? Yes. Three, Three more questions. Yeah. Just so I can get, just so I can think of where it is. Is this thing like in William? Is it in like the the tent where Bradley Cooper sleeps, like where William Defoe is? Yes. Like that's where he lives almost. Yes. All right. Two two more questions, Rick. You've narrowed it down from a thing to in the carnival to into William Defoe's tent. In the tent. 
I will say this, though. I will say this. Maybe this is giving it away. Maybe this is throwing you off the trail. It shows up in another place that's also not William Defoe's tent. You just gave it away, I think. Okay. Well, ask your um, question. It's, it's one of two things. So I'm going to guess the two things. <laughs> okay. I'm going to guess the one that I don't think it is first, just to give us some suspense. Okay. Is it the radio? No, it's not the radio. Is it uh, the pickled baby? It is. It's Enoch. Enoch. It's Enoch. Right. Good job. You did a great job there. I, I like had a thought in my head that it might have been him, uh, somewhere throughout it, but I just had to keep making sure and <laughs> getting us there. Sure. <laughs> I feel like I made it too easy because we talked about Enoch a little earlier in the podcast. It, but to be fair, if you uh, even if you told me that it didn't show up two places in the movie, I would still would have guessed Enoch. He was in my head right there when I was like thinking of the things that are in his in his room. Would, why don't you tell the viewers where was the other place in the movie that he showed up? Yeah, Enoch showed up at the very end. I think the did the guy say he like bought out William Defoe's carnival? What was the situation there? I don't remember. I don't remember. I just know that Enoch was present at the very end with the carny that was manipulating Carlisle. Enoch and the radio were both there. He was listening to some oldies on the radio. I know. Well, he's like, oh, look at this guy that I just collected. Honestly, if that's what I own, that'd be the first thing I'd show. If I'm trying to impress a bunch of people, be like, come over to my place. Do I have something to show you? I'm actually I'm gonna put Enoch in the center of like the room and they all have to like touch touch where his eye is on the glass. <laughs> hey, to poke his eye. Poke his <laughs> eye, Rick. <laughs> oh my goodness. Park the second game. I think that went well. It's, it went fast too. I was asking questions fast. Yeah, so. that's true. Hey, might make the cut. Let's go to the second game. Well, Rick, we are doing what we always do here, a staple on the Two Dudes, One Movie podcast, a quiz. Ooh, and so this exciting. quiz is titled, What Circus Act Should You Perform? Rick, our producer and creative director, my wife Becky, actually took this quiz before just to see what her answer would be. And she got the audience. So it is possible to get the audience as your act. <laughs> But I feel like whatever comes to our head, we gotta do. All right, Rick, let's just do it. All right, you ready? Which circus animal do you like most? Elephant, lion, tiger, bear. Oh my. I'm gonna go with elephant because one, you can ride them, and two, it's the only animal that's not on the Wizard of Oz list. You can ride them? I like how that was this staple. I'm gonna go bear because you can ride them. Oh, Rick. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if I've been to the carnival where they let you ride the bears, but okay. <laughs> What snack do you get when you go to the circus? Popcorn, beef jerky, peanuts, or soda? I feel like peanuts is for like a ball game. Popcorn kind of feels like a circus thing, but also like for the movies. I get soda everywhere I go. And I don't, beef jerky, like what? No, so I'm going to go popcorn. I'm also going popcorn. I love me some beef jerky, just not. Yeah, but that's that, like at a carnival. That just seems kind of, I don't know. Parker, are you a good dancer? I've had a few lessons. I have two left feet. I can be taught. I'm not sure if I'm good, but I love to dance. Definitely, I'm not sure if I'm good, but I love to dance, Rick. I have two left feet. I cannot dance for my life. Rick, do you get stage fright? No, I never get stage fright. I get nervous, but not stage fright. Yes, sometimes. I would say I get nervous, but not stage fright. That's where I'm at, too. Because I can get up on a stage and do things, but I get nervous beforehand. But I'm not necessarily nervous when I'm on the stage. If that makes sense. Oh, I'm still nervous on one stage, but I, I can definitely get I can get myself there. I'm nervous when I first get up there, but once I get into my groove, once I figure out you know what I'm doing, then it's like it's all a piece of cake. You musically inclined, Spark? I'm a good singer. I'm not musically inclined at all. I can hold a tune. I play a few instruments. Rick, I think this one's obvious, and I think everyone in the podcast community is going to resoundingly agree with me. I am I'm a good singer. I'm sad you put that. I am a good singer, Rick. I think you should do You Can Hold a Tune, but... I can hold a tune? Rick, I'm that's go. what good singers do. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm not musically inclined at all, because I'm not... I guess I'm just boring. I'm, I can't do Rick, anything. give us a tune right now. I will not give us a tune right now. <laughs> give us a tune, Richard. Uh, I don't think you held that tune, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like most about the circus? I love the talent. I love the animals. I love the clowns. Oh my God, who would put that? I love the trapeze acts. Rick, I love the clowns. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love the animals, Rick. There are no clowns. Did clowns exist before 1940? Where's there clown? There's no clowns in this movie. I don't know. I mean, the the um, mirror 
me the mirror thing had like a clown entrance. Uh, no, that was uh, the mirror thing. I think that was like no, that was like the devil. Oh, uh, was it the devil? Yeah. Well, tomato, tomato, Rick. That's true. Devil's a clown. Um, I love the talent. Mm, nice, Rick. Are you afraid of heights? Not at all. I prefer to stay on the ground. I'm fine going up. Coming down is the issue. I'm terrified of heights. I prefer to stay on the ground, Park. Rick, I'm right there with you. We were given feet, not wings. What famous clown do you like most? Krusty the Clown, Bozo, Emmett Kelly, Lou Jacobs. I don't know any of these except for one, and I also like this clown's name the most. Bozo. So, Bozo the Clown. I'm also going to go Bozo. Isn't Krusty Cross, in, like, is it The Simpsons? I forget where Krusty the Clown is. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Maybe. I don't know. I don't really watch The Simpsons. No idea. Which freak show act would you most like to see? Tattooed man, a bearded lady, the strong man, the human giant. Rick, I personally would like to see this specific act because this is totally opposite of who I am and what I am. The strong man. If you see my arms, you could see that being the strong man is just a figment of my imagination. Park, when you said this is the complete opposite of who I am and what I am, I really thought you were the bearded lady because you're not bearded and not a lady. Rick, I got a stash at least. I got a little facial hair. Well, it's not beard though. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of the opposite of all these things except maybe the human giant. Well, you're a man even though you're not tattooed. That's true. Have you ever been in a play? No, but I would like to be in a play someday. Yes, I was in a high school play. I've been in several plays. No, acting is not my thing. Acting is not my thing. Unless, like, is a play count as our little sitcoms? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. It is, well, I guess it's a screenplay, though. We didn't. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, I, but I would I'm like to be no. in a play someday. I do not want to be in one. How would your friends describe you? Lofty, stern, silly, or intense? I would say my friends would call consider me silly but yes. my acquaintances would consider me intense I'm, too, I'm a very different person to those I'm not close to Rick <laughs> you're an intense guy I'm an intense stuff. guy like on a film set I'm pretty intense I'm quiet and reserved I'm, I'm all business Rick I'm all oh, business well, you should go silly because that's how friends describe you Park how do you describe me Rick I would describe you as lofty you're a lofty guy I mean, what does that mean I don't, I don't know, but I just feel like that <laughs> that's, that describes you. I'll take it. Lofty. What do you like most about clowns? Clowns are horrifying. I love their big noses. I love their makeup. I love their slapstick comedy. Clowns are horrifying. Uh, prick. Who doesn't love a big nose? <laughs> Dude, I know I do. That, be, that would never <laughs> be the feature that I would be like, oh, <laughs> absolutely love the big nose. Come on, they're red noses. You just squeeze them and they go honk honk. Dude, I'm definitely going to get freaking audience with this. I can already see it coming. <laughs> How many balls? <laughs> oh, dude, balls. How, how many balls can you juggle at once, Rick? Three, Three two, two, zero, zero one. or one. Fuck, I'm going to be really upset if you pick, if you are really not upset. I'm going to be very curious if you pick anything <laughs> under two. <laughs> Rick, how many are you picking, though? I'm going two. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, not to outdo you or anything, but I'm going three. Mm, fuck. Do you, have a, you have a, do you have a little set down there? Rick. Like three, three dudes? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know, weather boy? What do you think of a of tightrope walkers? I think they're cool. They must have nerves of steel. They're insane. I've never seen a tightrope act. Uh, I got nerves of steel. I think they're cool. They're cool guys. Hey, just guys, Park? Really? You're going to go there? Guys are guys, dudes are dudes, bros are bros. What circus act would you like to try? I would like to try riding a unicycle, try juggling, try being a sword swallower, learn the fire dance. Uh, Rick, I would love to learn the fire dance because that sounds cool. But after two questions ago, I think the obvious answer for myself is juggling. Mine's a unicycle. Unicycle. Rick, I could see you riding a unicycle everywhere you go. I don't even think you need to be in the circus for that. That's true. That'd just be my motor transportation. I would do a motorized unicycle. I might have actually. to I might have to get you a unicycle and I think whenever you take Malcolm out, you can just ride your unicycle alongside him. <laughs> he, he can put out he can pull me on my unicycle. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Who do you think would make the best ringmaster? Charlie Sheen, Jared Leto, 
Jack Nicholson? Brad Pitt. Jack Nicholson's not looking so hot these days, so probably not him. It depends on what type of carnival we're trying to go to here, Rick. I think each one of them would present a very different carnival. I'm going to go with Jared Leto because he just seems like he'd have the most weird, intricate type of carnival. I'm going to go Brad Pitt. Mm. Just can't, can't get away from Brad, can you, Rick? I feel like this is almost the season of Brad. It has been the season of Brad in a lot of ways. It's nice that he showed up one last time. Sure, love Brad. Which of the following sometimes feels like a circus? My job? Bath time for the kids? <laughs> Christmas dinner? You don't even have to, rep- you don't even have to say the rest of them, Rick. Bath time for the kids <laughs> is a circus. I don't even have kids, and I know, I know what a real circus is. I mean, yeah, when I put, when I put Malcolm in there, dude, he's like a lion. <laughs> there you go. Rick, are you planning to go to the circus soon? Yes. I don't have plans for the circus, but I'd love to go. I want to go to Cirque du Soleil. No, I don't have any circus plans. Rick, I'm torn here because Becky and I bought tickets to a Cirque du Soleil show in November. So <laughs> You got to. <laughs> so do I say I want to go to that or do I say yes? I don't know. I'm torn. I have no circus plans. Also, I went to a Cirque du Soleil before. And I think it just made me like, it didn't make me sad, but there was like these probably like eight-year-old, maybe even less than that, seven or eight-year-old girls that were insane at juggling. And I'm just thinking, wow, your parents probably like trained you to be a juggler. What eight-year-old girl wants to be a juggler? Rick, some of us are just natural-born talents. I guess so, man. You wouldn't understand. You can't juggle more than two balls. It's true. But dude, I juggle them every day. <laughs> Rick, we might end up getting the same act here. Oh, Rick. We're at Iraq. Uh, we are. What do you get? Rick, I want to know what you got first. Okay, I got Lion Tamer. Rick, that's what I got. <laughs> Watch if we always get the same things. <laughs> when you perform under the big top, you should be a Lion Tamer. You get along with everyone, and you have always had a natural gift with animals. Many people have said that you should be a, ve- a veterinarian, but your heart lies with the circus. Rather than fear the king of the jungle, you can work together. Audience will love your rapport. This just makes it better that Becky got audience. <laughs> I know, it does. <laughs> uh, if we had a script reading park, it would have been perfect. We could have done Enoch in some way. <laughs> <laughs> we could have. Enoch. I don't even know. Just and Enoch. one of the other babies that are sitting around <laughs> and one of the other pickled babies. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. It's the end of the podcast, and at the end of every podcast... Wait, like, Park. What's our what? next movie? Rick. I was going to do that after this part. I was worried. I'm sorry. Like at the end of every episode now, again, we always give a pass or a recommend for our films. And this, Rick, is our last pass or recommend of the season. I don't think there's much of a spoiler to be said, but I think both of us are going to land in agreement on this one. I, for one, highly recommend this film because I recommended this film this week for us to watch. It's true. I mean, definitely recommend it. Uh <laughs> Still, I don't know if it's something I've watched multiple times, but it's a great movie. I think you should definitely watch it. Uh, like, not even 50-50 great movie. I think this is a must-watch for everyone. Especially, like, who doesn't love Bradley Cooper? He's an incredible man. Great guy, Rick. Great guy. Love him. Rick, our next movie, and I have it here on our notes, it's none. We don't have another movie. You know why? Park, why? Why should I listen? Why should I show up next week? Because... We might not have a new movie to listen to, but we're at the end of season one. And that means we have one episode left. And that one episode is going to be a recap of the entire season in all of our movies. We're going to make a list of our favorites to least favorites. We're going to look back at the best moments and times of the podcast. We might even hand out an award or two just because we can, Rick. Just because we can. It's the ultimate two dudes, one movie podcast episode. The finale. So I'm sorry if, I, if we heard some mic muffling there. I was so excited and so shocked that my mic just unclipped from my shirt. So we're holding it now, Park. Can't Rick. unclip from my hand. It's like we're going back to the first episode back when you were holding it. Oh, I know. I'm just waving it around. Waving it around. <laughs> Got some <laughs> really little, great audio. It's, little, it's like a little wand. But yes, I'm excited. I will be giving a superlative to one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It'll be the... That, that's what I'm going to name probably the trophy. Rick, we did, and, and last week we also did Shake On showing up with nothing but bow ties. So I don't know if you're still planning on doing that, but... I, I do just, not have a bow tie, so that's well, going to be an issue. 
Well, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll be, I think you'll show up in something. I'll wear a tie. Don't worry. All right. Yeah, I actually have an idea. I might not go shirtless, but I think I'll hark back to one of our, um, one of our great moments of this past season where we were talking about wearing white T-shirts in the shower. Maybe I'll wear a white, wet T-shirt. That was a beautiful strip of dialogue. That was. We really hit our stride. But most importantly, next week, we will be deciding what the theme of next season is going to be. That's true. You'll have to stick around and find out what genre is next. Rick and I have an idea. We haven't completely agreed on it yet, but I think we know where we're going with it. And unfortunately, I already tried to get the idea to park in our producer. It's not going to be Disney Channel movies yet, but don't worry. It's, it's we got that in the backlog. I think we we're going to get that. there someday, but it's not. we're not quite at that point yet, Rick. We have to be somewhat serious. We have to be somewhat serious for the first couple seasons, Rick. Although, one would argue that nothing is more serious than Disney Channel original movies. It's peak, Park. Peak. They're taking inspiration from nothing. They're just doing their own thing. Xenon? <laughs> oh, man. They real, Yeah, yeah, it's something. I'll tell you that. One day. Not next. Not, I don't want to do a next season, but one day. Well, Park. Time to sign off. Time to sign off for the last movie podcast of the season, Rick. The last movie. Well, everyone, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week with one more recap episode to conclude our season. And you've been listening to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Until next week, guys. Boyne Voyage. Watch Johnny Tsunami. Bye. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.